You're listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Luke. Here's Nate. Like the beginning of his gospel, Luke announced to us that he wanted to write for us an orderly account, or more accurately, an orderly account for Theophilus, and by extension, all of us. And here we come to Luke chapter 24, where Luke is going to conclude this very orderly account. And here we have the resurrection of Jesus, the appearances of Jesus, and the commissioning of Jesus's disciples. It tells us in verse 1 that on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, being some women, went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Now, Luke left us, of course, at the end of chapter 23 with the burial of Jesus or the hasty initial burial of Jesus, but the women wanted to complete the burial process that had been expedited due to the Sabbath on the previous Friday. And so they go out at the first moment they can early on Sunday, which in the Jewish mind would be three days and three nights or the day after tomorrow, the third day. They go out early on Sunday morning, the first moment that was allowed to them due to the Sabbath restrictions to complete the burial process of Jesus. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that the tomb had been made secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard, and that early before the women arrived, there was an earthquake, an angel of the Lord descending from heaven, rolling back the stone, sitting on it, and the Roman guards fearing and trembling and becoming like dead men, and then, we assume, eventually departing. All of this has transpired before the women arrive early at dawn on that Sunday morning. And so these women approach the tomb and at early dawn due to their great devotion to Christ. And it says in verse two, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, the large stone, of course, was designed to discourage grave robberies and was a large stone. The other gospels tell us that the women worried out loud about who would roll away the stone from the tomb. Now, the large stone is helpful because it helps us understand, for one, that this was an actual event where, you know, these women could not do it themselves, but also it helps debunk the theory that Jesus's body was eaten in between his burial and Sunday by wild animals. No, the stone was there protecting the body of Jesus. And of course, it had been rolled away by the angel, not for Jesus, but for these women. Now, they did not see or find there the body of the Lord Jesus, it says in verse 3. And it is interesting, in the gospel accounts, no one saw the act of the resurrection. They saw Jesus in his resurrected state. They had resurrection appearances, but they didn't see the actual event 
of Jesus rising from the grave, which is very telling because any legend or any hoax would absolutely include this glorious detail. But no one was privileged to see it, so it simply was not recorded by the gospel writers. Now, while the women were perplexed about this, verse 4, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, these are angels, that's what the dazzling apparel is about. These men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So the angels come and give a slight rebuke to the women. They had watched, these angels had, the life and the ministry of Jesus, and perhaps had wondered why these disciples did not anticipate a resurrection. They tell them, he's not here, but he's risen and remind them, remember how he told you. And they, at that moment, began to remember his words. And so, of course, a great question is, why didn't they anticipate his resurrection? Uh, He'd said it, he'd revived others, but perhaps they thought this to be another parable that Jesus had said, or perhaps they were expecting something that was entirely future, much like Martha had anticipated with her own brother Lazarus when she told Jesus, I know that he will again rise in the resurrection on the last day. Now it says in verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told them, told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. It is interesting that Jesus here The first people to witness his empty tomb were the women. Mary Magdalene was the first person to have seen Jesus actually in his resurrected state, who obviously is a woman. Here we learn that Mary was there. Joanna was there. She is actually the wife of a man named Chusa, who was Herod's basically CFO. So she's taking Herod's paycheck and using it to support Jesus. Mary, the mother of James, was there, who is also known as the wife of Clopas. And then also we learn in Mark's gospel that a woman named Salome was there, who is perhaps the mother of James and John, or perhaps Jesus's mother's sister. So just some various women that were there, along with other women, and this is this is fascinating because, of course, in that culture, the testimony of women was not readily received. In fact, it was not even considered in a court of law. He, the reason that the women are recorded to have seen the tomb first and recorded to have seen Jesus first is because they were the ones who saw it first and Mary Magdalene saw him first. And so the gospel writers record that uh, to be so. But the disciples here, they dismiss this as an idle tale or babbling. But Peter, verse 12, rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, 
he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. There was something there that Peter heard or saw in the voices of these women that caused him to have enough of a question to get him to stand up and to run to the tomb and stoop and to look in. Now, he saw these linen cloths lying there by themselves. And it says here that he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, John in his gospel records this episode or this movement in more detail. But the thing that is noteworthy is that there was something about the linen cloths lying there in a specific way that caused Peter to believe and to marvel. There was something marvel, something notable about the grave clothes of Jesus. John even mentions the face cloth folded and in a place by itself in his gospel. The linen cloths were not, in other words, strewn about like a person who had been resuscitated, came back to life, and now found themselves wrapped up in linen cloths and needing to escape, you know, that sort of mummification. No, they were lying in place. In other words, Jesus had not resuscitated. Jesus had risen, and he, like he was able to do in walking through material to enter into the upper room in a few moments, he passed through these garments, and they lay there in total order, and that helped the disciples understand or see he hasn't resuscitated, he's risen. And they they went away marveling at what had occurred. John tells us in his gospel in verse 8 of chapter 20, that at this point, he actually believed. Now that very day, verse 13, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So the disciples, of course, after Jesus was crucified, they began to scatter. Two disciples One, we don't know their name. The other is named Cleopas, we'll learn. These two disciples were traveling on the road going to a village called Emmaus. And while they were talking and discussing, verse 15, together, Jesus drew near himself and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is beautiful. Jesus approaches them. And they don't immediately recognize him. Now, of course, the question is, why didn't they recognize him? Was it his wounds that had so marred his appearance? Was it his resurrected appearance that they were seeing and unable to discern? Was it the lack of expectation, just not expecting to ever see Jesus again? They'd watched him die on the cross. They'd seen him carried away to his burial. There'd be no anticipation of his resurrection or of seeing him again. Or perhaps this was simply a supernatural move of God in keeping them from seeing him. That After all, it, there's an indication of that. It says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them in that moment, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. 
Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? And he said to them, What things? It's as if Jesus was just trying to pull this out of their hearts. Their hearts were overwhelmed. Their dreams had been crushed. The very movement that they thought would lead to the messianic kingdom seems to have been crushed with the crucifixion of Jesus. Their hearts are overwhelmed and burdened, and they say, haven't you heard of the things that happened there in Jerusalem these last days? And he says, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet and mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So Jesus draws it out of them, and they just pour forth all of this information. And he said to them in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study that must have been to hear Jesus explaining to these two disciples from the Old Testament all of the things that pointed to the necessity of the Christ, the Messiah, suffering these things and then entering into his glory. The way that he spoke is he said, all the prophets have spoken. How have you been so slow of heart not to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And perhaps Jesus went back to the Old Testament's uh, prophets and demonstrated the way that they predicted the suffering before the glory for the Christ. Passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 are some of the more obvious chapters or prophecies concerning the future suffering of the Messiah. Maybe he even just went to the whole Old Testament sacrificial system and showed them and demonstrated for them that the Messiah had to be the perfect sacrifice to fulfill that system. But it says in verse 27 that Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, he showed them how the Old Testament was pointing to and testifying of himself. He went all the way back to Moses, it says, to Genesis through Deuteronomy. Genesis 3.15, where the promise was given that one day the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent and he would also bruise his heel. And so Jesus goes all the way back into the Old Testament and declares himself from it. Perhaps he demonstrated, even in creation, the way that God spoke light into existence and 
went forward and demonstrated how the gospel message has to, like light shining out of darkness, has to shine into our hearts, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Maybe he demonstrated how Jesus would be the second Adam who would solve the problem created by the first Adam. Maybe he would demonstrate how in the ark that Noah had built, salvation had been given to a select few who came into the ark and took God's offer for salvation from the future and coming judgment and wrath of God. And perhaps Jesus was able to demonstrate there in that moment that all who would believe in what Christ had done upon the cross will be able to escape the future judgment that God has promised upon a broken and fallen world. Perhaps he went back to Abraham and demonstrated that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that at that time, Israel was not a blessing to the entire higher earth in the sense of salvation for individuals was concerned. People could convert to Judaism, but that through the cross of Jesus Christ, as people believed in him, all of the nations of the earth would truly be blessed by one of Abraham's descendants. Perhaps he demonstrated Joseph, who was betrayed and thought to be dead, but ended up being a great blessing to those around him, much like the resurrection of Jesus They expected that he would be dead forever and off the scene, but surprise, there he is alive. And and on and on, perhaps, Jesus went through looking at the burning bush passage and the Passover lamb and the Exodus and the tabernacle and uh, Joshua leading them out of the wilderness and into the promised land or all of the heroes in the book of Judges or the rightful kinsman redeemer in Ruth or David slaying Goliath or Jesus. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, or Jonah on the third day found alive within the belly of the fish. Perhaps from all of these places, Jesus demonstrated Christ had to suffer, had to die in order to do his most perfect work in the lives and hearts and souls of mankind. Now, this statement that Jesus makes here, this was important for the early church to hear. It actually set the tone for the way that they interacted with the Bible. They went to the Old Testament considering the Old Testament to be their now Christian scriptures, looking to learn and to receive from them, but they also were informed by the idea that there in the Old Testament, Christ had been promised and prophesied of. So very important for us in our modern era to consider that the scriptures testify of Jesus. So what a blessing to have heard this incredible message. And, you know, of course, for us, we wonder why wasn't it recorded for us? And and why, why wasn't it written down in its entirety? And why weren't the bullet points and the various connecting points in the Old Testament scriptures given to us? Why weren't these references included? There are certainly plenty of Old Testament references given to us in the New Testament. Well, I think I think part of the reason for this is that the Lord is giving the church in the modern era an opportunity to actually, by the Spirit, go back to the Old Testament and receive this exact Bible study from the Holy Spirit as we wrestle with God's Word in the Old Testament and come to the places in Scripture where we see Jesus clearly evidenced. So, 
they drew, verse 28, near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, verse 29, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And so Jesus comes into that meal. Their eyes were supernaturally open, and Jesus supernaturally vanishes from them. Again, in his resurrected state, there seems to be a different kind of interaction with the natural elements that in the way that we interact with them. And so Jesus vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our, not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Well, he opened to us the scriptures and they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon, who is Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread, how they recognized him during that moment when they were breaking the bread together. Now, we don't have a record of Peter's personal encounter in the sense of we don't know exactly what it was like. Paul records the timeline of it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. So at this point, now in Luke's narrative, Jesus has appeared. We don't have the record of it in Luke's gospel, but the other gospels tell us that he's appeared to Mary Magdalene. Now he's appeared to Peter, and he's also appeared to these two on the road to Emmaus. And they say, did our hearts not burn within us? And when did their hearts burn? Well, their hearts burnt when Jesus was opening the scripture to them. This wasn't something that was a feeling out of thin air. No, it was a response to the sermon, the Bible study, the teaching that was rooted in scripture that caused their hearts to burn within them. Now, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. All right, so now here we have another resurrection appearance of Jesus. He's appeared to Mary, some of the other women on the Emmaus Road, to the two, to Peter. And now here, this is about on Sunday night with 10 of the disciples. We know that Judas is not there, obviously, but also Thomas is not there. And Jesus would appear to him one Sunday later, a week later, and then eventually appear at the Sea of Galilee and to 500 people at one time and his own brother, and eventually at the ascension at his final commissioning. But he stands in front of them and he says, peace to you. He gives them this common greeting, but it takes on a new significance. Peace to you. I've risen from the grave. The gospel is now effective and possible and beautiful. The kingdom has now come and will come. And he stands among them, which implies that he supernaturally appeared in their midst. But they, verse 37, they didn't have peace. It says that they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. 
touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. We see that these men were frightened. They thought that they might be seeing a disembodied person, a spirit or a ghost of Jesus, even though the Jewish culture popularly rejected the concept of ghosts. It seems that these men begin to wonder. Uh, They thought that they saw a spirit and doubts are coming in to their hearts. And Jesus says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? And Jesus barely rebukes his disciples, but Here, he condescends to them and then proves that he is who he's claiming to be because he shows them his hands and his feet. Apparently, there was a remnant of Jesus's wounds there in his hands and in his feet. John tells us in his gospel account that Thomas could actually put his finger in his hands and in his side and see the markings of the wounds that he had acquired there on the cross. And when the disciples see this, it says in verse 41 that they disbelieve for joy. They couldn't believe it. It was too good to be true. There was shock and fear and astonishment and joy and skepticism all blended together. This whole event was just rocking their minds and their worlds and their hearts. They didn't know how to process this. And he took then some fish and he ate. He ate it. He ate it. He didn't need it, but he could eat it. In other words, this was a way for Jesus to demonstrate the physicality of his resurrection. He wasn't a spirit. He was a body, a resurrected body, but not resuscitated, risen, defeated conqueror of death. So there they are, and he takes it and he eats it before them. Now, then he said to them in verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So he takes them again through the whole gamut of scriptures, Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. It's a way of communicating that he went through the whole Old Testament and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is similar to what he did to the two on the road to Emmaus. And perhaps this happened at the moment when John tells us in his gospel that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the word go together. And so perhaps these men, as they receive the spirit and are regenerated, they are then able to understand the scriptures. Their minds are opened to understand the scriptures. As 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that a regenerated person who has the spirit within them, that is the kind of person who is able to understand the word of God and to see the mysteries within it. Notice that Jesus 
refers to his words, Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, that they'd be fulfilled, the scriptures. Luke records it is written. This is a Bible-based moment that these two are having. And of course, Jesus has fulfilled very many prophecies already, but there will be much that Jesus still is going to fulfill for you and for me. And for that, we have great hope and confidence. At, and Jesus goes on in verse 47 and tells them that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He said, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So not only was the message that the Messiah would rise from the dead, but that they would go and be preaching a message of repentance and of forgiveness and that they would testify of these things. And to consider that we testify, we are an extension of that great mission and the strength that Jesus promised them is the strength that Jesus also promises and gives to us. He says, I am sending the promise of my father, the power from on high. This is the Holy Spirit to come and live within us and also pour upon us so that we might be a blessing and have power to communicate the gospel message to this world. Then he led them out, verse 50, as far as Bethany, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He, like a priest, lifted up his hands, a priest in the Old Testament era, lifted up his hands to bless his people. And he blessed his disciples. He started a new thing. The Old Testament priesthood is not what they would operate in any longer. Now Jesus is their great high priest. And while he blessed them, verse 51, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. The ascension of Jesus is actually very critical to the ministry of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit did not come in power until Jesus ascended. But secondly, the Spirit uses the ascension to convict the world of righteousness because as Jesus ascended, that shows us what is required to go and dwell with God, the perfection of Jesus. But praise be to God, we can have the perfection of Jesus by simply believing in his substitutionary death and resurrection for us upon the cross. And they worshiped him, verse 52, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so this new community of believers were gathered together Jesus ascended, and we now are left by the power of his spirit to do the work that he has commissioned for us. Just like Elijah in the Old Testament ascended and Elisha was left to work, now Jesus has ascended, and the church is left to do his work and carry out his mission here on earth. And that's what Luke's second book, the book of Acts, is all about. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.